The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2, and we are going to start in verse 16 tonight. Uh, As you probably assumed, we are continuing in our series through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Uh, The name of this series is Our Story Begins. And uh, as we've said each week, we just want to make sure this is real plain uh, and clear. The Bible is God's story. That's first and foremost. Uh, But he has allowed us as his people to play a major role in all that he has done and is doing throughout history. Uh, According to the Bible, all of humanity is bound together by the same origin, the same purpose, and the same destiny. Uh, We all exist because of God's creative power. We all exist for his divine purposes, and we will all bow our knee before him one day. Some, as children of his by faith, and some as his enemies because they've rejected him. But we've all come from the same place. We should all be focused upon the same things, eternal things, and we'll all end up on that great and glorious day standing before him. And so uh, going through this book of beginnings and seeing that our origins are shared should help us in a lot of different ways, uh, in the way we relate to people and in the way we share the gospel in the world, which is the great point uh, of us being gathered together as God's people. So like I said, we're in Genesis 2 today, and this is the tail end of the creation account. Okay, so uh, Genesis 2, verse 16, and uh, we're going to read to the end of the chapter, okay? The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at the place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Praise God for his word. Amen. Well, by God's good providence, uh, we find ourselves studying the account of God creating the very first woman on Mother's Day. And uh, I wish I was slick enough to tell you that I planned that, but I'd rather just give Jesus the credit anyways. It just worked out. So praise the Lord. Uh, Now, there's there's a lot that could be said in here, uh, but because of the day that we landed on this, and, and really this is a focal point that I think gets overlooked sometimes. Uh, A lot of Bible teaching references the beginning of Genesis. Jesus talked about it a lot. Uh, But there's something we want to zero in on today that I think will help us in in a broad way to be more circumspect on some things. So uh, verse 18 
Let's look at that again. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 18 is normally seen through an unfortunately narrow lens. Uh, the second to last verse in Genesis 2 is verse 24. It says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, they shall become one flesh. So that, that verse, kind of a summary verse, and then it says, you know, everyone was naked, which is, of course, a life verse for most teenage boys, but uh, that's, that's basically the end of the, the chapter there. Verse 24 is very clearly a reference to marriage, okay? And marriage is, of course, a huge part of God's creative and redemptive plan. Uh, the importance of marriage can't be overstated in our time, uh, especially as people see it more and more as a religious formality than a covenant blessing. Marriage is supremely important for the fulfilling of God's will in the earth, but it is not the only thing on his mind in verse 18. God's saying it is not good for a man to be alone is much broader than the, just the need for a complementary gender with which to marry and procreate. And I think sometimes when we see verse 18, it says it's not good for man to be alone. We instantly, we, we know verse 24 is coming and, and those kind of get grouped together and we think, well, that's, that's what that means, right? It's, it's really just talking about marriage and, and a man being alone is not a good thing from that perspective, but it is broader than that. And I'm hoping maybe we're going to touch something today that some of us haven't thought of. It's going to help us be, be better thinkers on a lot of issues, okay? So let's, let's say this. Of course, Adam could not be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, as God commanded in uh, chapter 1, verse 28, without Eve, right? He couldn't be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it without Eve. So that is part of this, right? Marriage is part of this, and it's a big part of what God is doing and what God notices when he says, it's not good that this guy is alone. Uh, I think it, it was probably reinforced during the naming of the animals, right? You know, God brings this one animal that looks kind of like a beaver, but kind of like a duck, and Adam says, that's a platypus, right? And I, I could just see God going, okay, we got to get this guy some help. You know, like, all right, yes, I told you you can name him. All right, good, it's a platypus, but uh, we're going we're gonna to work on that. Um, you know, I, I think that may, maybe has something to do with it. It doesn't say that in the text, I'm just guessing. Um, and uh, if just, so I said, of course, being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth to subdue it, uh, the command from chapter 1 verse 28 is not possible without Eve. And I just want to say that if you don't understand why Adam couldn't multiply without Eve, then we can meet up after service. I think Kids Discipleship has a flannel board in the back, and I'll try to take some of those characters and help you figure out what I'm talking about. I don't want to leave anybody in the dark. So just, you know, if you're struggling with that, let me know later, and I'll, I'll see if I can help. Uh, I didn't think that was in the job description of shepherding God's people, but hey, you know, you, you just never know what you're going to get into. Praise the Lord. So uh, th this being fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, it's, that's important, but it's not the first purpose God revealed for his creation of humankind, okay? That's in verse 27 of chapter 1, and it says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 5 echoes this truth when it says, he created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man, when he says it means as in mankind, in the day they were created. Did you hear that? He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day they were created. 
It is not good for man to be alone is much more than God saying Adam needed a woman in order to make babies or so he wasn't lonely. Here's the big kicker. Here's the big point I want you to grab. Adam alone was not good because Adam alone could not reflect the image of God to the world completely. The first purpose that God stated for his creation of humankind, Adam could not do that job alone, being the image bearer of God to the world. This is an important job. What does being an image bearer mean? I know some of you are nervous, but hang with me. It's funny. I can see your faces. You guys know that, right? This is great. All right. We're going to be okay. We're going to stay in the orthodox fence, I promise. But what does an image bearer mean? I'm not sure that we fully understand all that that means when God said that he wants humankind to bear his image, to be his image bearers in the world. I don't know that we know everything God thinks about that, but God's desire clearly from what we can tell in the scriptures is for us as his children to reflect his character and nature to the world. That's part of our job is that people should see something of the God that made us in the way that we live and in the way we interact and the way we deal with situations and people and all of that. They should be able to learn something about God through us, right? Uh, Sin severely impaired our ability to do this. Severely. But in the person who has been made new through faith in Christ, God is restoring this ability for us to reflect and to bear his image in the world. Romans 8.29 says this, that God, uh, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. And so by coming to faith in Christ, part of what's happening is, what's be, part of what's being restored is our ability to do our first purpose, which is to bear the image of God. And that's true for men and that's true for women, clearly from the way the scriptures talk about it. So there's Adam being alone is not just, well, let's get him a wife so somebody can bring him chicken wings, right, and make sure that the, you know, our corner of the garden is clean. That's, unfortunately, many people have, in a, in a very unhelpful and, and misogynistic way, not really paid attention to all that Adam being alone, not being a good thing, means. It's much broader. God has a great purpose for humankind, uh, for which we should be thankful. Uh, you know, sometimes, on some days, I wish I could have just been a wombat or something. You know, it seems like life would have been simpler, but uh, that's not my call, right? God made me a man, and he gave me a purpose, and he put his uh, spirit inside of me, and he's called me to be a part of the mission uh, of bringing hope to the world through the gospel. And so I'm going uh, to get, get up each day, plead for his help, and keep marching on that mission. I hope you are too. Amen. You missed that spot. That was a good amen spot right there. I'll just keep coaching you. We'll get it together. Amen. Uh, and this, this really makes sense as we, if we really think about it. Uh, the Bible sees men and women as different on purpose, but also equal in dignity, value, and worth as image bearers of God. One of the ways we understand this is from these couple first chapters of Genesis. It, it, it's, it's an undeniable truth that that's the case. Uh, there are likely dozens more that we do know and hundreds that we don't know, but I want to point out a few ways Uh, that women reflect the image of God in a way that is unique uh, and precious. Because what the big premise I'm giving you is Adam alone could not fully accomplish mankind's first purpose out of the mouth of God to reflect his image to the world, to be image bearers. What I'm saying to you, let me be even more plain in case I haven't been plain enough. I think we needed Adam and Eve. I think we needed men and women to and still, and still we're going to reflect it imperfectly, right? Even without sin in the picture, us being image bearers of God isn't going to 
people aren't going to totally see the glory and the, and the sovereignty and the wonder of who God is through his creation. But a lot of what God's doing, Romans 1 says, through the beauty of the rest of creation, but clearly we see taught here in the first couple chapters of Genesis, through mankind, part of what he was doing was revealing who he is. And he wants to do that through us. And I don't think Adam could do that alone. Clearly. Or, I mean, I, I think if God can do something a simpler way, typically he'll do that. He's pretty efficient. Uh, but the, I think sometimes women have felt like the church teaches, you know, God brought them in because uh, we needed to make babies and you can't, Adam couldn't do that alone, right? Like, and that, that really is unfortunate that women have been taught that way or even if it's by inference, right? I'm sure nobody stood up and said that, but sometimes if you're not careful to point out all that the text is saying uh, or really take the time to think about what all the text is saying, uh, you, can, you can leave people with that impression. Women have a precious place in God's redemptive plan. They're not second-class citizens in God's economy, okay? That's kind of what we're getting at. Um, you know, let me just say again, though, God does reveal himself primarily in masculine terms, and he invites us to call him father and not mother, right? However, it is, it's clear that humanity's first stated purpose is being God's image bearers in the earth, and that couldn't be accomplished by the male gender alone, Okay? I told you we'd stay in the orthodox fence, but I want to stretch a little bit uh, and think better about things because sometimes we don't do that. We get lazy, so we're not going to do that today. Amen. All right, so I'm going to give you three ways that women reflect the image of God. Like I said, there's probably hundreds more and maybe some we're not even aware of. I I think that's probably true for both genders. Let me also say this as I go into this. Some of this has to do with uh, what, what is typical or normative, right? There's always outliers. There's always... Uh, times when certain people maybe don't fit a mold, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put anybody in a mold by saying this, but there's science to back up most of what I'm saying, and we can observe most of what I'm going to point out. Uh, the third point you probably see coming, but uh, that's all right. I can't, uh, I can't keep you in suspense every week, so even though I try. All right, so here's, here's the first way I'm going to say that I, I believe women uh, do this primary job that humankind was given of being a part of how God's Character and nature is reflected to the world. How do, how do women do that in a unique, precious way? I think by bringing order out of chaos. I think women oftentimes have an ability to bring order out of chaos. Let me read something to you. Uh, this is Matthew 23, 37. It's also seen in Luke 13, 34. This is uh, uh, something that Jesus said, and he's describing himself. Think about this as you, as you listen. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So Jesus is very comfortable describing his feeling toward the city of Jerusalem in the way a mother feels towards her chicks, that she wants to gather them up under her wings. And this, so I believe, I believe women in in a, in a, specific way have an ability oftentimes to bring order out of chaos that sometimes uh, those of us on the male gender side maybe aren't as good at. And when I see Jesus using this description of how he feels and, and what a mother hen does, you know, why does a mother hen put all the chicks under the wings, right? Normally there's some kind of danger, there's something going on where she wants to protect them and draw them in close. So what is that situation normally like, right? If, if there's a fox or there's a thunderstorm, whatever it is, you got chicks running this way and that way, right? And so this, this mother hen's got to have this ability to, to swoop them all, you keep her head about her, right? Swoop them all up and get them all in, drawn in close. And, 
And so there's this ability in, in a chaotic situation to, to draw them in. And I think, I think God has put in women this, this ability to do that. And my question to you is, what, what are we talking about? Am I just trying to say nice things about women because it's Mother's Day? Is that what I'm doing? No. What I'm trying to show us is women in a unique, special, needed way reflect the image of God. And that's, that's a part of why Eve came into the picture. She didn't come as just the other side of procreation. Okay, And that matters a lot. I don't know if it matters to you or you understand why it matters, but it's a big deal. It's a big deal in the way we think about people, how we treat people, uh, especially as the church, because oftentimes we are uh, accused of not being thoughtful about things, and sometimes people are right. Amen. Okay, good. There's, there's three self-aware people here. All right. Awesome. Good stuff. So the question is, is God good at bringing order out of chaos? Yes. And so the fact that women are able to do that is, that, is that a helpful way and part of how people can see some of the character and nature of God in humankind? Yes. And how does that, how does that flesh itself out? Well, typically, and science shows this, um, there were, there's been studies done, more done in the UK, but really all over the place. There's been several times where they'll, they'll put men and women into a situation where, you know, they've got them doing some type of math thing or whatever, and then they throw in another task at them, and then they, they just keep adding on, and, and they had these folks hooked up to um, magnetic resonance imaging, right? So they've they're, they got an MRI on their brain, and they're watching what's happening as they're forcing them to start doing multiple tasks. And what they've, what they've seen is that uh, it takes, for some reason in the typical, let me say that again, don't put me in a box. I'm not trying to do that, just relax. But typically, in a female brain, there's much less uh, energy needed, much less energy consumed, switching between tasks, right? They just kind of can flow from one to the other. And I don't need an MRI machine to know this, right? Because I, if, if I'm having a conversation with someone, I need to either like probably, you know, be seated, feet firmly planted. I need to be facing them. I need to have no distractions, pretty quiet, right? So every, everyone, shh, turn the radio off, to the TV, you know, because I, I can do one thing. I'll do one thing really good, but one thing at a time right? Whereas my wife can have, you know, a roast in the oven, be answering emails, doing something else, packing the kids lunch and whatever else. And she can still be holding a conversation with me. And sometimes I'll be talking to her and I'll stop because it looks like she's doing stuff and she'll be like, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. So you can do all that and hear what I'm saying. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, cool. Here we go. I can't do that. So, and again, you know, maybe I'm like on the far end of the inability to multitask spectrum. I admit that. However, uh, I've seen that in an observable way. Uh, it, it's, it's true, right? Like if I'm microwaving a burrito, I'm standing there like watching it count down. You know, I'm doing one thing. <laughs> Waiting for it. <laughs> All right, good, we're done. It's burrito time. <laughs> Natalie's, you know, she can, she can do it. Am I the only person that's experienced that? Or do, do you guys know that a lot of times women are better at multitasking? You, you willing to say that? Okay, good, Amen. It's good to see some brothers raising their hand on that, that the ladies were humble about it, but you guys know it too. It's okay. You don't have to be false humility in here. We can be real. That's, that's a way that women bring order out of chaos. They can walk into a chaotic situation in, 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 an, in a way that sometimes is not present on the male side of the, the gender uh, deal. Uh, they, they, can, they can be dealing with several problems and just, you know, like a mother hen grabbing those chicks together. Uh, and I think it's very telling also Jesus has no concern here about considering his emotional range and the way that he's feeling to the emotional range of a mother. I think that says something, uh, and we should pay attention to it. So bringing order out of chaos, I think, is one way that 
that the ladies, uh, in, a, in, a, in a special way, can reflect the image of God to the world. Um, the second way is in, in compassionate caring, okay? And again, I know there's some very compassionate males. Uh, I'm talking in generalities, but also let's just look at the way God, in this parable that I'm going to read you, what, what word pictures does he use to get his point across about this, right? So I'm going to read you Luke 15, 8 through 10. This is known as the woman with the lost coin. Or what woman having 10, this is Jesus speaking, teaching, or what woman having 10 silver coins, uh, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, or I have found, uh, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so, you could, you could get distracted on coins and stuff, but the point Jesus is making here is in that God himself cares deeply about one person. There's nine more coins. Who cares if you lose one? Right? And that might be kind of a guy thing. Like if I lose something, I'll give it 10 minutes probably of a good hard search, and it's like, hey, I'll buy another one. Or what, you know, what a, and that's why I have 14 hammers in my van. But uh, that's besides the point. Anyways, so... The point here is that there's, God has this, this incredible care and compassion for this one person, even if everybody else, that's the point, right? There's, there's nine coins, there's one coin. There's great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. God cares deeply about each and every person. Well, do, do women help to um, reflect that part of the character and nature of God? I, I believe they do. Not exclusively, of course. Again, I know I'm really kind of being careful about that, but in case someone listens to five minutes of this sermon later, I want to just kind of make sure it's in there, sprinkled, you know, like paprika on your deviled eggs. Uh, you guys act like you haven't had paprika on your deviled eggs. I feel for you, if not. Uh, the, the point here is that I, I believe do, women do have this uh, ability for compassion that, that is, is sometimes a broader range. And, and why am I saying that? Well, Jesus, in explaining God's heart about one person, he uses this example the way a woman would go about it. So that's one piece of evidence. But secondly, just empirically, again, there's scientific evidence pointing to the fact that women, even as babies, uh, they, they look people in the face more, typically, uh, that they have, tip, typical woman has an ability to, when I say I'm saying compassion and care, but part of what it takes to be that way is to be able to empathize. And what that means is it's different than sympathy. Sympathy just means I feel sorry for you. Empathy is an ability to feel what the other person feels. And that has been scientifically studied. And uh, there's, of course, there is, there is some overlap, but typically by large percentage points in, in tests that are given, women are able to understand in a deeper way how someone else is feeling based on facial expressions, based on tone of voice and all this. They, they can pick up on that stuff. And so there is a compassion and a tenderness and a care oftentimes uh, in, that, that comes through uh, the, the female side of God's creation of humankind that I think in a, in, a, in a special way shows how compassionate and kind and caring God is. God, 
God is so compassionate and caring. He can be as big as he is, as, as powerful as he is. He can be the one who just one chapter ago was speaking all things into existence. He can be the one managing every single detail of his plan of redemption all the way from Noah and Abraham up until today and where we're going from here on out. He's got all of that going on and yet the Bible teaches clearly his care and compassion, his love is so deep that when one person repents, one sinner comes to repentance, God stops and takes notice that all of heaven rejoices. There is a deep compassion and care in the heart of our God. And I think it's also very telling and very beautiful that Hebrews tells us Jesus is not a high priest, doesn't understand what it's like to be like us, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be tempted, to be scared, that all of those things as he came and uh, took on flesh and lived the kind of life we live, of course, differently because he did it perfectly, but God has this ability to empathize. He did it most perfectly through Christ. And I believe that when, when women walk in that ability that God gave them, it's another, it's another way of a myriad uh, of ways that they do part of their primary job, which is the primary job of every human, which is to reflect the image of God in the earth. And let me just say again that we struggle to do this because of the effects of sin, but Jesus is working in us each and every day that we can pick up that mantle again, that we can do this job once more uh, of showing the world how good and loving and perfect our God really is. Uh, and I believe women have a, a powerful part to play in that, and uh, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, and this is part of why. Uh, the third way that I believe women uh, have a way of reflecting the, the beauty and the majesty and the sacrificial love of God on the earth is by mothering, is by being mamas. Uh, let me read Hosea 11, 3 through 4 here. God is described, self-described um, like a mother. He doesn't say you can call me mother God, but he, he's using this language to describe the way he feels towards his people and, and what happened. So this is Hosea 11. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, I who took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like the way a mama treats their little ones. That's exactly what it is. Women can reflect the image of God to the world in many ways besides being a mom. I intentionally started with two that wasn't being a mother because we don't want to pigeonhole people into thinking that mothering is the only way. I want to say that clearly, that women reflect the image of God. It's not, but it is undoubtedly one of the most profound ways. It is a special way uh, that women can show the love and patience and nurturing character of our creator. Uh, the price that moms pay from the time of conception through the entire life of their children points to the nature of God's love for us in a clear and a precious way. You see, the Bible teaches in 1 John that love is best understood by looking at the cross of Christ. And so if we do that, if we look at the cross of Christ to understand what love is, what do we see happening there? Uh, a lot of things, but, but primarily what comes through is this idea of sacrifice, selflessness. Jesus, as Philippians describes it, put making himself low all the way to the point of death like a thief so that we could be lifted high and would not have to fall into all of uh, the consequences of sin 
and death that we deserve, right? And so we see sacrifice and we see selflessness at the cross of Christ. And this is what begins to scratch the surface for us as mere humans trying to understand the depth, width, and breadth of what the love of God really looks like. How deep does that go? How loving is he really? What does it really look like? Well, the greatest expression of that is the cross of Christ. The Bible clearly teaches that. Uh, However, I think in the way that mamas lay down their life to raise their children, uh, we see a reflection of that, uh, a reflection of God's willingness to do not what's best for him for the sake of the children whom he loves, which is, if you could argue that with the cross of Christ being the fact that it is, I'm I'm not sure where else we could go from there. Uh, I I think you're confused, friend. I don't know what else to say. Uh, Mamas are sacrificing comfort, nutrition, and sleep before their children even leave the womb. And it only gets more exciting from there. Is that right or wrong? I mean, I haven't been a mom, but I've been around a lot and, you know, I've been kind of intimately involved in the process. So I know how that goes, right? Uh, From the very point of conception, that mother is giving things up, laying herself down in order to bring that life into existence, to bake that little bun in the oven, uh, and once the baby comes, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not like it gets easier from there. I know when mamas get to, we got a few mamas at the end of the process, and, and it's like, okay, I'm ready for this phase to be over, but it's, it's different once the baby comes out, but it's still going to cost you all the time, every day. And, and there's a love and a bond that causes for good mamas that are led by the Spirit of God, for them to willingly lay their life down to take up that beautiful mantle of being a mother, and in doing so, in loving sacrificially, in paying the price that mamas pay to to love and nurture their kids, they are in an undoubtedly clear, crystal clear way, reflecting the kind of love and care and sacrifice that our God has given towards us and the way he deals with us. Mamas empowered by the Spirit of God for their divine assignment to raise more image bearers of God are for sure one of the most beautiful and undeniable reflections of God's goodness, patience, compassion, and love. So I want to say thank you to those of you that have picked up that divine assignment that you've worn that mantle. Uh, You've paid the price. And uh, thank you for not only raising more image bearers of God, but for reflecting to the world what it looks like uh, to lay yourself down for the better of somebody else. We see that done perfectly in Christ, but we see it all around us all the time in the way mamas love their babies. Amen. Um, I mentioned earlier that sin has severely hindered our ability as humans to reflect the likeness of our perfect God to the world he has made. Uh, And this is true for men and women, and it's, it's even true for mamas, right? And some of us are like the water boy. We don't want to hear that our mama was wrong. You know, we'll come put two cleats in your chest if, if you talk bad about her, but that's, we, we got we, we to chill out and we got to understand that even as precious and sweet as mamas can be, uh, they, even they sin and they fall short of God's mark, but the gospel gives us hope that there is forgiveness when we fall short, praise God for that, and that we can once again, as we receive that forgiveness, as we confess our sin and we trust in God's goodness, we can take up again our divine occupation as image bearers. It's the gospel that gives us hope. It's the gospel that keeps us from crumbling under the weight of imperfection in whatever we're trying to do. And I know many of you mamas 
Many, some of you are expecting mothers and you have this, this twinge of anxiety and fear that you're not going to be good enough when that day comes. Satan's constantly whispering in your ear. And, and, and listen, here's, here's what the gospel does. Here's why the gospel sets us free. So some of you are looking forward to what's coming and there's anxiety and fear. Some of you are looking back at what's been with regret because of things you wish you would have done. I wish I would have spent more time or wish I would have done this or that or not said that or whatever it is. All of that the anxiety looking forward, the regret looking back, all of that, the gospel answers all of it because it, it gives us this freedom that we don't have to wear some mask and try to convince everyone we were perfect at the job God gave us to do. The gospel says plainly, all of us, every single one of us have messed it up. So we can all just raise our hand and say, I haven't done this perfectly. And there's a real beautiful freedom in not having to try to wear that mask of being a perfect dad, a perfect employee, a perfect mom, a perfect whatever it is, right? God is glorified when we take that mask and throw it on the ground and stomp on it with our heel and say, here I am, blemished, imperfect, incapable completely of doing anything aside from the vine giving me life because I'm just a branch and apart from him, I can do nothing. That's what the gospel does. It frees us to be image bearers that aren't trying to front and project this idea that we are doing the job perfectly. I know every single day I'm going to fall short of that. That's why the gospel is such good news. I can't do this. What I deserve is to have the divine occupation of an image bearer of God to be stripped from me and never get it back. But that's not how God deals with us. What we deserve is to not be able to walk in that divine purpose. But what God has done is said, if you'll trust me by faith, if you will believe that yes, mankind has sinned and failed. Every single one of us, even mamas, the sweetest grandmamas, every single one of them. The Bible is clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one that has walked perfectly aside from Christ. But God has said, here's how we're going to fix that. Here's the gospel. We're not going to try to get you to do a bunch of good things to offset the bad things because you're going to keep doing bad things while you're doing the good things to try to offset the bad things. And the, the scale will never tip back. You can't fix this. So here's what we're going to do. Jesus is going to come, God in the flesh. He's going to live the perfect life that you can't pull off, that you can't do, that you, you say, hey, I understand that. He's going to do that. And then he's going to step in and be the sacrificial. He's going to absorb the wrath. He's going to take and pay the price so that you don't have to carry the burden of guilt anymore. You don't have to try to live with that shame. You don't have to try to hide from it. You don't have to pretend anymore. You can tell the truth. And you can place your faith and hope in the fact that Jesus did what you couldn't. That he paid the price you could have never come up with the currency for. That when he shed his blood, that sacrifice, that paid for the sins of every man and every woman throughout all of time. That Jesus made a way for there to be hope for all of us. Dads, moms, brothers, sisters. And here's, let me just say this as well. The gospel has this, this auxiliary benefit and this really good news that we become the family of God. When by faith, the blood of Christ uh, becomes what we trust in for our salvation, it says that uh, we become a part of the family of God. So then we are brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And so the Mother's Day is, is, is a day for honoring and rejoicing at the gift of, of mothering that God has given us. But it also sometimes can be a day of, of pain and difficulty because some people's mamas aren't here. Uh, some people struggle with infertility issues. There's all kinds of reasons why Mother's Day can be painful, but the gospel, if you'll let it, does bring an answer to those things because 
What the gospel does is it makes people that, that would maybe probably have nothing to do with each other if it weren't for the gospel, now say, that's my family. That's a person that I'm willing to bind my life to, to be lashed together with the scarlet cords of the gospel and join with them on a mission far greater than any of us would have ever been on on our own. And I, that's, that is a mother. That is a father to me. That is a brother and that is a sister. And it's a real and an eternal way. Listen, we, we are born into families and, and that matters and God does that in a sovereign way. And so it matters who uh, is, a, is connected to us biologically, but it also matters very deeply and in a precious way who God binds you to through his blood. And so the family of God, the fact that there are gospel mothers and gospel fathers, and so if, if you're somebody that doesn't, we're talking about mothers today, if, if you're, if, if you're a, a woman gifted by God to be an image bearer, in the ways that we talked about tonight, it doesn't mean you have to have biological children to do that, especially those parts of being a mom. There are so many people out here that don't have somebody loving them in that way, and every person, just think about the standard biological design. God set it up for people to have a mom and a dad. It's not, it's, I don't know how to explain that any other way or make it any less complicated for you. It's pretty simple, right? And so there, for many people, there's a gaping hole there. For many people, they're looking for someone to just tenderly care for them and empathize with them and, and be willing to lay down their life to, to love them, care for them, listen to them. And so uh, I, don't care if, I don't care if you're 18, 48, or 78, uh, God can anoint you to be a gospel mama, uh, to, to step in and, and, and be that for somebody that uh, maybe doesn't have it. Or, or maybe they do have that. Maybe their relationship with their mom is fine, but who, who doesn't need more people? willing to lay their life down and to love them well and to speak truth and wisdom into their life uh, like a good spiritual mama does. And so uh, I just want to say thanks to all my gospel mamas. Uh, you guys know who you are. I'm very thankful for you. And it's, it's, it's just an absolutely real thing. Uh, and I hope that every single woman at Love City Church would aspire to be a gospel mother, whether or not they have their own biological children. Amen. The gospel is the hope that makes us not have to fear walking in the divine purpose that God made for us. Whether that's being a, a mama or a daddy, whatever it is, whatever it is, there's, it's, it's intimidating to try any of this because when we're honest and we get quiet and we really think about who we are and how often we stumble, uh, it's very tempting to want to just quit, give up, not try. Um, there's, there's all kinds of ways where the enemy is trying to whisper and, and get us off track, but ultimately, God's desire is for us not to try to trust in our own works, not to try to trust in our own ability to get it done or to not mess up again, but to trust in the fact that Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't, died the death we should have, and then rose from the grave just like he said he would, proving that God is mighty and powerful and tells the truth all the time. He's invited us to put our faith and trust in him. And if we'll do that, if we'll trust in his gospel and his good works and his mighty power instead of our own, we can rest in who he is and what he's promised. And we don't have to keep trying to make everybody believe, including ourselves, that we're good enough. Dear friend, uh, the Lord Jesus has already made an eternal declaration that you're good enough. He let himself be beat and tortured and hung upon a cross and gave his blood to have you. Your value is already set and determined. The gospel sets that for you. So you don't get to, haters around you don't get to, uh, nobody gets to tell you what your worth or what your value is. And that's including you. You, you don't have a trump card that has, has greater authority than what God has already said about you. God has made clear 
that you have dignity, value, and worth as his image bearer, and that's what he wants you walking in, the freedom and the beauty of being able to, in in all the ways he's gifted you to, reflect his goodness, his compassion, his patience, his mercy, and his glory in the earth. So praise God that he would put such an incredible mantle of responsibility on us. I know we don't deserve it. And yet, look at what mercy, look at what mercy is bestowed upon us. I praise God for these truths. I praise God for the hope of the gospel that broken people can find truth and hope and peace and joy in the God that made us through Christ and his sacrifice. Amen. Happy Mother's Day, Love City. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you uh, for the truth of Genesis 2. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you have made us as your image bearers. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you noticed it was not good for Adam to be alone. And Lord, we, we humbly admit that there's probably lots of reasons we can't understand of why you said that. Uh, Lord, there's so, many, uh, there's so much depth to all that you do. We know that you are God and we are not, and your thoughts and ways are much higher than ours. And so, Lord, we're just, from what you've given us in the text of your word, we're, we're going to rejoice in those things. And so, Lord, I thank you today uh, that you had the wisdom to make mankind that you made Adam, but you also made Eve. And I thank you, God, that you have bestowed upon your people this beautiful mantle of responsibility that we are to reflect your good character, your glory, and your power in the earth. That you gave us the job of being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth, subduing it, being stewards in your stead of representing you. Thank you, Lord, that you saw fit to make us the pinnacle of your creation, the apple of your eye, and, and the focus of of your affection, Lord. We don't deserve that prized position, but I thank you that you saw fit to make it that way. Thank you, Lord, that even when we violated that, even when we didn't understand of how much we'd been given, how blessed we had been and and what you've called us to, we, we turned our back on you. Adam and Eve, yes, but each and every one of us, we've all sinned and fallen short, Lord. We've all rebelled. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't just just wipe us away as we deserve, but you're working this, this constant and steady plan of redemption. That you're working at a cosmic level on, on all of us, but also individually. Thank you, Lord, you are like that woman that lost the one coin that, that you will search and you will seek and you will come after us. And that you love us deeply, individually, each and every one of us. But I thank you, God, also that you love us like a brood of chicks, that you want to, like a mother hen, draw all of us together. And so this faith isn't just an individual faith, but you've called us as a family to come together, to be one body with one purpose, with one heartbeat, and that heartbeat match yours, that our desires would match your desires, that our will would be aligned with yours, and that we would be about your business with every breath that you've given us, with all the time that you allow us. So Lord, I thank you. I thank you for all that you've taught us through your word today. Thank you for the beautiful gift of mothering and for the gift of mamas. I thank you for the fact that we are not limited uh, by biology, but that we can, as much as you gift us, Lord, and as much as you strengthen us, we can love far outside of the boundaries of just biological family. So thank you for that call. Thank you for that equipping. We ask you for more of it, Lord. We ask you to expand the ability of our hearts to love more and more people. Lord, some, some of us are scared about that. Some of us have opened our hearts before and been, been hurt. Some of us don't like the feeling of vulnerability. 
But God, I ask that you would, you would show us how vulnerable you made yourself for us and that we would seek to reflect that to others. Help us, Lord, to get over our fears and anxiety. Please help us, Lord, to love well the way you've loved us. We want to do that, Lord, just because we want to obey you, but also because we know that's part of how we show the world just how great you really are. We exalt you, Master. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.